0: Um, this is your host, Mark Jones, and we are sponsored by reviewmymortgage.com as the largest index for mortgage programs nationally. Um, today, we are uh, going to be discussing practice what you preach. And behind that essentially is leveraging real estate um, to grow your wealth or educate others. Um, and today I'm joined with some pretty awesome folks that I know are also top industry professionals. Um, we are joined first by Jade Flores. Jade, how you doing?
1: Doing good. Thanks for having me. Awesome.
0: And we also have Scott Maloof. Scott,
1: what up?
2: Uh, what up, what up?
0: How you doing today? I am blessed. Wonderful. So as we um, all have come to the understanding, each one of us are industry leaders, in my opinion and in our opinions, and I believe in the social media world and all that good stuff, um, but by way of our hard work. Uh, we have taken our funds and leveraged them into what we do best and what we know best, which is real estate. So I would like to kind of start by introducing, giving a little bit of background behind uh, both of you, where you come from, how you got to where you are, Um, not talking about childhood or anything like that, but more so industry uh, uh, topics. Um, Who wants to start?
1: Sure, I'll go first. All right. All right. So... um... My occupation, so I I manage Longhorn Investments. I'm the regional manager. Uh, So I oversee all of San Antonio, Austin, and Corpus. It's a hard money lending company. Um, I got started in real estate um, investing when I was 22 years old, and I was able to own over a million dollars in real estate before I was 30, and that's currently what I do as well.
2: Fantastic. Okay. And how about you, Scott? Awesome. So my name is Scott Malouf. I have a team, Malouf International Group, inside of Keller Williams Heritage, Keller Williams Heritage is the number one brokerage in San Antonio. Um, there's 1,200 agents inside of that office, and we have the number one team inside of that office. Uh, this year, we'll close around $120 million in production. I started in the business in 2016 as a rookie agent. That year, I did 85 transactions as an individual. And since then, we've been able to grow the team to where we have teams inside of the team and we have leaders inside of our organization that continue to build wealth for themselves and also build wealth for others.
0: Okay, so a couple of things that you had just mentioned there. I want to start with 85 transactions in the first year. How did that happen?
2: So I was in event planning before I was in real estate. Yet I I thought that, you know what, when I get into real estate, all that was going to transition. Sure. It it didn't. So I had to rebrand myself. So I got a referral from an agent who's on our team now, Um, Janet. She referred a, a client by the Pearl. Which is a, a part down here in San Antonio. Okay. It's uh Hotel Emma's top ten hotels in the in the world, which actually happens to be here in San Antonio. Awesome. So um fun fact. Yeah, fun fact, yeah. Fun fact. So she referred me a seller there, and this is before all that open opened, and that seller living check to check. We ended up selling the house for hundred and ninety one thousand, got her a house down the street for a hundred thousand. And from there, we just started door knocking the neighborhood. Now, when she sold, she needed to buy. Yet on that 700 block of Myrtle, we ended up selling um seven properties just on that street. And those seven had to buy. So that became 14. And then from there, just took over that Tobin Hill area. And then from there, it's like the ink block method. You take one over one na- subdivision and it goes to the next, to the next, to the Okay. So
0: by way of hard work, it seems like osmosis Allowed you to become the Zillow of that territory.
2: That that's one. That was one of the things. Yeah. Okay.
0: No, exactly, yeah, that. that makes perfect sense. As well as coaching, being very sure. coachable. Coachable, and there was a second thing that you had mentioned, which you took and and you tell me, are, are you a broker, realtor? I'm a team lead. Team lead. Okay. Very good. So essentially, you are building a team within a team. Correct. Um, which is understanding the concept of business and how it works to be able to leverage that in itself, right? You find something that's working and you go and automate, duplicate, and place that on someone else so that you can then coach from back.
2: Yeah, it's, it's creating the systems. The Absolutely. systems and models that are going to help other people grow. So we have an ISA department. We have um, a media team. We have a director of sales, director of operations. We have four transaction coordinations that are virtual So we have kind of the infrastructure, the platform that people are able to build on. Very good.
0: Now, when you were developing your teams and structures, what uh, mentorship guidance was there that quickly to understand what you needed to do? Or was that something that you figured out on your own?
2: So both. So I've been in coaching again since the beginning. So Steve Collins is my still our team's coach. Um, and then I also got in MAPS coaching with um, Keller Williams okay. on the national level. And then Craig Owen, who's our operating principal. So they've kind of taught me some, some of the business when it comes to that. Yet on a national level, we do have relationships with other people that are duplicating or even have bigger teams than what we have here. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So Switching gears a little bit, Jade, on your side getting the introduction to real estate, it wasn't as a real tour, was it? No,
1: I've never been
0: a realtor. Right. So essentially, and and uh, this episode is, in my opinion, going to go very far with the realtors and lenders out there in the United States that are looking to begin leveraging, understanding the concept of. Jumping into real estate, a game that they already should know very well, but it's taking the risk to jump into it. And you, never being a realtor, jump straight out into investing. What was the foresight? What was the, what got you to there?
1: So my husband uh, worked for a real estate educator okay, um, and that's kind of where we got the idea of it. Now, his job was not to teach, my husband's job was not to teach real estate education, but more so to sell the coaching package that the real estate educator provided. Okay, But that sparked the idea of being able to invest in real estate. Um, but keep in mind, I was 22 years old. Sure, sure. So this <laughs> was very premature. Um And so that's what sparked the idea. And then from there, we just took action on it. Mm -hmm. Now, it was imperfect action by far because our first transaction, um, we trusted people we shouldn't have trusted. And I know we talked about that on our last last podcast uh, in terms of how we kind of fell and how you get up from that. Um, So one thing I would say is definitely make sure that you... Uh, do your homework on it. I know and it's kind of like what Scott said when he first got into real estate, he automatically assumed that he could take one concept and apply that to the next. Right. But you cannot get rid of the fact that you still have to educate yourself on the process and you still have to put in the work. I agree. So I feel like a lot of people get into it initially thinking, hey, this is just easy. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to just make millions overnight. Right. And it can be extremely lucrative and extremely profitable, but you have to make sure you do the background on it. So that's how we got started. Our first deal was a flop, um, but we learned so much from it. And then from there, we've never lost money ever since and just continued to grow over the years through that. And
0: and that, I think, I'm skipping ahead, but I'm going to do it anyway. I believe that that is a huge concept that is totally missed by most people. Most consumers don't get the concept of taking that risk Losing on that risk, but seeing the risk and the loss as a education. Um, essentially, you can, and I like to compare it to going to college. You can go to college and pay thousands and thousands of dollars and get out and have a piece of paper and some education behind it, maybe some networking and whatnot that you've come across. Um, but you also have the option of getting out there, taking risk like you did. I'm going to get in debt to buy this property to hopefully sell it for more after I put money into it, dang, it didn't work out. (laughs) I lost money. Now, you can see that 20, 10, 8, 15, who knows what dollar amount loss, and compare that to a college education. The the value um, comparison is pretty similar. In instance, if you... Now, the difference is if you don't decide to get back up and try again... Uh, then yes, it is absolutely a loss. But I see it as a very inexpensive education, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's kind of like starting a business too. You you have to go through it's it's mountains and what is it mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys. right? Yeah. You have to go through the valleys, peaks and, valleys and peaks. And peaks, peaks and there you go. Got to go through the, the the rough times in order to experience uh, the the greatness of it all. Um, and unfortunately, my mine was an immediate fall, <laughs> but you know, it takes resilience. And, uh, I think had I gone into it and, you know, again, 22 years old, most people who get started in investing are not 22 years old. Um, and so they probably know a little bit better, but, uh, or they, they don't. don't, or they don't, but having the resilience to go through that and maintaining the vision, um, in order to see the upside mm-hmm. from your investment and your hard work. It- I agree.
0: I agree. And, and, and again, uh, all three of us ambassadors for that concept.
2: Yeah. I love what y'all are saying. The word fail stands for first attempt. I learn.
0: Ooh. So every time you fail
2: there's a learning opportunity to be able to grow. So I, I love what y'all talk.
0: I agree about. 100% with that. Um, so flipping back over to you, Scott, at what point in time did you decide to leverage your earnings or, or is that the way that you did it? I guess, let me ask that question first. When you decided to start jumping into investing, in in what I call yourself, because essentially your business is real estate. You know the most about real estate, and uh, you're paying to your customers just as we do. You're the expert. So, at what point in time did you decide to leverage? And was it something that you took a risk on, um, in the sense that you used your own cash? Did you leverage equity? What was what was that like?
2: So the way w- w- the way our team is, we're prospecting based. Okay, so. It's kind of like if you were to work at Foot Locker, mm-hmm. you get a deal on sneakers before they hit the, the shelves. Okay. For real estate, we get a deal on real estate before it hits the market. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times there'll be transactions where I would sell it, and then I'm like, and then six months later we would sell it again for that same client. Sure. And he like, just made a hundred thousand dollars on this deal, I'm like, and I'm looking. You at are it. seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and then I'm I'm realizing like. Well, some of these deals we need to start investing in, so we had to put our investor cap on when transactions started to come to us. So there was, it was right after my my rookie year, and I still owned a lot. It was on Crockett Street downtown, okay, in San okay. And I called the guy, and he he called and he, he hung up on me, and I called him back, and I said, because he he owned like eight properties, okay. And I was like, you know, I'm just calling back because I know you own these properties. He said, you're not going to pay for that property. I said, well, how much you want? He said, I want four thousand for that lot. I was like four thousand. I said, oh, I said, you know what? Let me let me let me call you. Let me think about yeah. it. <laughs> and then I, I was like, you know what, we're gonna go and send over a send over a contract for four thousand. This is still happening today. And now that lot's worth fifty thousand, um, compared to where it was worth four thousand. Awesome. Okay. You know, five years ago. Right. So those opportunities come and then also there's been times where I would, I'm, I'm prospecting and a multifamily will come up and the lady's like, well, you know, I don't want to sell it now, maybe in about five years. Because, I said, well, what is it that you want to wait on? She's, said, I don't want to pay taxes on it right now. Okay. I said, well, let's do an owner finance deal and you know, we, we can put 10% down and then you know, five years we'll do a balloon and then in five years you can get the, the rest of your money. Uh-huh. And she said, well, that sounds good. So then we run into those opportunities and sure. we continue to um, build wealth into that. And then also with the hard money with Jade, um, my cousin and myself, uh, we invest in properties with her too. And then through other clients in my sphere, we've been able to utilize Jade through the hard money and be able to work the deal correctly where we're able to put the offer in where it's at the 70% or 65% sure. value, be able to put the po- closing cost in paragraph 12 of the contract and pretty much where we're coming at closing with no Nothing. money yeah. to buy the property.
1: Yeah. Y'all kill it on that cool, strategy. And, and you know what <laughs> else
0: is pretty cool? I've got two um, uh, juggernauts on this show at the moment and had no idea before, I guess I put you both in the same text message, that you actually did business together already. So yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. I did not know. Um, and I like that concept because it does go hand in hand with the entrepreneurial handbook, in my opinion, that you use somebody else's money first. Um Personally, when I got started, we started with investment properties, and we used our first one was our primary residence. Um, and we'll get into s- different ways to do that uh, towards the end here. But our first home was our primary residence. Uh, three years later, we listed it, or I'm sorry, we went to buy our uh, second home and decided to keep the first because we got such a good deal on it that after a year of being a landlord and what we perceived as everybody and their mother telling us that it's a nightmare wasn't that bad. Um, so we decided to buy a couple more properties. And in, over the, the next course of the next three years, we accumulated a few properties that then later in life, when we decided to take bigger risks, put them on the market and actualized the net benefit to us that opened our eyes to opportunity. It was like holy cow! We just made that much, and all we did was accept payments and explain instructions and call a repairman when it was time. I mean, it was not that big of a difference, and I think that there is a difference in buying and holding versus um, flipping, and and we'll get into that as well um, because I think that's something that realtors, uh, real estate professional professionals. Um, lenders, those that are making a good living in this world, in our line of work, um, if you're not investing in real estate, you either don't know how, uh don't know it's possible, um, are uh scared of taking the risk to do so, but uh this episode is intended to show you the benefits the uh downfalls, the real grit of actually doing something like that. Yep.
2: Yeah, you learn the best investment on earth is earth. And in Oof. our in our nation, 24% of our nation's wealth is in the equity in their real estate. So knowing that 24% of the wealth in mm-hmm. our in in our nation is only in real estate, sure. That that means that's where you need to be putting your money.
0: Absolutely. And one thing that they will not build more of is land. <laughs> It's not possible.
1: Well, it's crazy that you say that about the rental properties because we just did that. So I think it's so important for people to follow the market because those market trends are going to dictate when you want to sell, when you want to buy. So we actually just did exactly what you're talking about. We offloaded three of our properties, netted a hundred thousand dollars on one of them, $70,000 on the other and 50 on the other. And literally over, over how
0: much time? And I want to put it in perspective for them.
1: So what we did, so we bought all of them about two years ago, okay. um, two, two and a half years ago, but we bought them all fairly within the same amount of time. And what we did was one of them was our primary. Um, two of them were our rental properties. And so we purchased them when the market was great for the buying time. So we did get them at 70% of the ARV. Uh, cash out-of-pocket on both of them was fairly similar, anywhere between five to 6000 total for everything. We rolled the renovation cost into the loan to minimize our out-of-pocket cost. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately got a renter in there. Uh, so after hard money, I refi, and I lowered my interest payment sure. in order to hold it long-term. I uh, got a renter in there. We netted about $350 to $400 a month, held them for two years, yeah. which completely alleviated my out-of-pocket cost at that point because now it's pure profit, Uh, sold them and then made $70,000 on just one of those properties. So it's, it's, it's a matter of not being impatient, knowing when to buy and then knowing when to sell. So we sold them when that huge uh, influx of people came and everybody was just in a frenzy because there was such little inventory and you have to know when those, when those key factors hit because that's when you need to play your card.
0: And depending on the situation of that, those factors it depends which card you're playing.
1: Exactly. Should it's like you a buy game. buy and
0: hold? Should you
1: flip? Exactly. It,
0: it all depends on the situation.
1: Real estate to me is a game. And I feel like every day I'm just figuring out which card I'm going to play, which card I'm going to pick up, and which card I'm going to give out.
0: And you always keep an ace in the hole.
1: Exactly. And so with those, a lot of it was just timing, figuring out when to sell it. And we did it in the right time, um, captured that that profit, and then redeployed it Absolutely.
2: in order to- You got to tr- trust your gut. The word gut stands for give up thinking. So when your gut says, you know what, we need to make this move, make that move.
0: I like that. I have not. Did you get that from Steve? No.
1: That's good. (laughs) He made it up right now. That's pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So flipping the script just a little bit, and and I want to give more perspective to those out there that believe only top industry professionals should be doing this. Or only those that are making really good money can do this. Scott, with you... Your first year, you crushed it in the real estate game. We know you made some good money, but still were able to utilize the outlets that you had at your exposure to use to leverage even more.
2: Yeah. I never understood why it's called hard money because I feel that's easy money. It's I never understood that because in you know a lot of people, they, they'll have reserves, yet yeah, they mm-hmm. might not have two years of work history. And they're like, you know what, I can't invest in real estate, and that's not true. Right. And understanding hard, easy money, yeah. um, <laughs> and really going diving in deep with that, you can definitely be able to invest in real estate without even having you know, too much. You've got you to have some reserves, yet you want to have a good crew around you.
0: So I just want to reiterate, repeat, uh, hyper-focus, a key factor. You didn't have to become a top producer to start leveraging in real estate. I love that. Okay, and and it is the truth. Um, And now I want to get into various ways that one can leverage what they're currently doing to start investing in real estate. Um, For example, my wife and I, as I uh, had mentioned, we used our primary residence as our first and then started realizing after the second one that your primary residence is also a tax shelter. In the instance that... If you hold your homestead for at least two years in the state of Texas, I don't know what your states are, uh, your regulations get with your CPA and nor are we CPAs or represent uh, CPAs. Um, But after two years, if you sell your home and it was your primary residence, the tax uh, shelter that that creates is a huge difference um, in being able to move forward on the next purchase or planning your next move. So we've consistently, while we've had our ventures on the side with flipping properties and investments used our primary residence to leverage that equity over without paying taxes. So uh, I think a lot of folks don't really understand that in the sense that they're going into their first purchase with the intent that this is their forever home. Um, And a lot of them are young. And knowing what the future holds, I mean, you deal with a lot of buyers. Your team deals with a lot of buyers. I'm sure you deal with a ton of buyers. What do you see as far as the holding pattern in time for a buyer to stay in their home?
1: For an investment property or for like a homestead? Let's talk about both, yeah. So for a homestead, I'd say a couple of years because honestly, especially people you know, in the millennial stage, I guess you could say anywhere from the ages, I don't even know what a millennial is. <laughs> anywhere from 25 to 35, you're, I mean, like me, I'm, I'm 30 years old and surprise, I'm four months pregnant. You're so, <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're still upgrading, you're, you're still, your taste is changing. Um, your potential earnings are still changing. Sure. Like I can tell you from You know, four years ago to now, my net worth has gone up tremendously, which then allowed me to afford a nicer home. Um, I'm having more kids, so I need more space. (laughs) Like there are so many things that change within that amount of time that you naturally will end up upgrading a home, possibly downgrading a home if something happens in your life. Um, So I'd say probably a couple of years. Mm -hmm. We stayed in our home for about two and a half, almost three years. Okay. and that's the home we made a hundred thousand dollars on. There you go. Um when I bought mine, it was only two years old. So we really we didn't have any repairs for it. I mean, everything was pretty much brand new. Um, and you're
0: talking a hundred grand with no taxes.
1: Right. You don't have to pay capital gains because no. we lived in it and it Correct. was the sale of our primary home. Um and that was net too. So Absolutely. it's like, I mean, you can you can make money on these, but you know, just make sure you buy right. Um, I agree. But yeah, I would say probably, I don't know. Anywhere from two to four years.
2: Okay. How
0: about you, Scott? Same concept or what you're seeing out there?
2: It is because change- the equity is getting faster right mm-hmm. now. So somebody that bought their home two years ago now has 20% equity compared to before. The typical 6%, 5%. Yeah. yeah so And and that's true, too. Uh, people's taste change. We learned that no man or woman stands in the same river twice. So who you are today is not who you were three years ago. That's very true. So you might have been like, you know what? I'm going to live downtown and then after being there for three years, you're like, I'm going out to the country, or right. vice versa. So people do change their taste on what they what they envision their life. Right. So they do move. Yet, what on average right now we're looking around four years for someone to say, you know what, we've had the equity in our house, and let's sell it and buy something else. We have people that wait six months and they do it. Right. On um, say if it was a flip, somebody would so buy a house and they're gonna rehab it and then sell it. Um, we suggest that they wait at least 90 days because of the FHA. Work, okay. And we don't want to miss out on those buyers in certain price points. And then, um so we're usually looking around month five, if they have a good crew that came in and did the good work. So Absolutely. Okay. That's one thing that's kind of hard to find is a really good solid crew. crew that is so us. true
0: Structures. when when flipping. You are exactly right. Um yeah, that's I, I'm blessed to have uh, partnered with a a very close friend that we actually work well together and he handles that entire aspect of it and earns his keep 100%. Um when it comes to that. But uh, I know, absolutely. It's half and half, man. Um we are not greedy and we are in this for the long run. Um, so that's something that we decided up front and we said, we're going to stick to, I mean, it works. Um, but there was one thing that you had mentioned, um, that sparked, uh, the concept of the 90 day flip rule. I want to make sure that, uh, the listeners understand what that means. When he says 90 day flip rule, he's talking about the financing options when it's time to list that property, um, If you are accepting FHA financing for that property, and that typically depends on your price point and area in which what type of offers you're going to receive. But within 90 days, you're not allowed to actually sell that to an FHA financed buyer. You have to wait until the 91st day. Um, it can still go for sale for to v, veterans, VA loans, conventional loans, or cash, obviously, and 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 or easy money. <laughs> I like that concept. It'll <laughs> never it'll never go away now. Um, but if you are intending to flip the property within a thirty day, sixty day grace period turn time, be aware that there is a ninety day flip rule with a certain type of buyer, and it's limiting the pool that you have of potential prospects. So I just wanted to make sure everybody understood what that was because they hear 90 day flip rule and it gets thrown around all the time. But I don't think anybody really grasped the concept of it until it hits them in the face. They're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I can't move forward with this because my realtor wrote the contract. The lender ordered an appraisal and there's an FHA case number attached to it. And now that buyer can't buy that home at all, yeah. which is a sad, sad thing. But it happens. Um, so anywho, I went on a rabbit hole.
2: People need to know that.
0: People do need to know that stuff, I believe. Um, so different ways of purchasing it and the concept of getting you guys to explain to them the average realistic time that someone would stay in their home is as a real estate professional, mortgage professional, utilizing your primary residence, you can actually build a little mini empire.
2: Even like you were saying from a tax standpoint, mm-hmm. buying under your business. Um, so say you own like you owe the IRS sure. money and now give it the CPA yeah. for, for yourself. I'm not a CPA yet. The ones we've worked with, um, have helped us when it comes to this too, because say we buy something, owner finance, and put five percent down mm-hmm. and it was a two hundred thousand dollar property. Well, now we can write off twenty five percent of that two hundred thousand. That's exactly right. So fifty thousand of that is now a write off and we only put down ten. So now, you know, it it leverages. Leveraging at every angle. And I believe
0: that in order for you to learn those uh, lessons, you either have to go through it or trust someone that has actually gone through it um, to help kind of guide the path on those types of things because they will come about. I mean, we've all been in those scenarios where we're trying to figure out the expenses and how much we lost and how we can recoup some of what we've lost in those situations um so moving on into um why you guys decided to leverage uh with yours uh, jade i believe it had to do with where you were in life and what your husband was doing but even still after you failed the first time what made you want to continue
1: So I came, my background was, um, I wanted to be an attorney. So since I was young, I've worked, I've, since I was 17 years old, I worked for attorneys. Um, I got my certifications to do uh, paralegal and assistant work, did that for a long time. Um, I realized once I had kids that I did not want to go that route. It involved me being away from them for a long time. Um, it was very stressful and it involved a lot of paperwork. Um, so I think becoming a mother actually made me realize that I wanted to be able to have the freedom to be able to stay with my kids, um, and provide that type of lifestyle for them to be in their lives. So, um, I did not want to go back to the nine to five. So that is kind of where it, that drove us from. Right. Um, we knew that it was going to be possible. And it's so crazy because if you truly look at like, you know, you say, trust your gut. If you look at it from the logistical standpoint of where we were at, sure. we were in the mud and we really didn't, I mean, we lost everything. Um, and being 22, I mean, you know, it, we lost $50,000. Yeah, that's a big thing. It's a huge hit Absolutely. for 22 years old. I mean, that's like your whole year's worth of earnings. Plus yeah, some, 22 <laughs> plus some, days? yeah.
0: That's like two years and that's uh, before taxes.
1: <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I said it on the last podcast, moved in with my in-laws. Um, my car got repoed, like we were in the mud. And mm-hmm. um, but I trusted my gut and, I remember, like I told you in the last podcast, having that conversation with, with Eric's parents, they were like, you guys need to get a job. This is not, they told, me, they told us, this real estate investing thing is not real. You guys need to, and his dad's very militant. So, you know, they're very used to the nine to five. They're not used to the entrepreneurial side. And um, you, need, you guys need to get a job and gave us a deadline. And I remember a couple, I think it was a couple weeks or like a month after that, got our first check. We were able to give them some money back. Um, and then it was another one after that and another one after that. And then it was just, I feel like the positive thinking and just believing in yourself to go forward and bl- now look at us. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, we run our own businesses, my children are able, I'm able to stay with them as often as I want. Nobody. Sure. So because of that, that was my first goal. And that's what we've been able to achieve through creating the financial freedom of real estate and leveraging, uh, money. And so that's, I think, where the spark came from.
0: Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Uh, how about you, Scott? What, 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 uh, what was that? What was that like?
2: I mean, I didn't. I wish I knew more about real estate before I was in real estate, and because I would mm-hmm. do, I was doing. I was a club promoter. Okay. So the money I would make from there, I would open a kiosk or do this, and and, and I would. Failed. But constantly yes. Entrepreneurial Yeah, So you've always mindset. been
1: entrepreneurial though.
2: Yeah It, it was yeah. a lot of different businesses Yet I would open a toy kiosk Or a shoe cleaner. It's called Shoe Magic And then I would throw concerts And then It was just a, And then I also did artist management With this kid AJ Hearns here So I had all that going at one time Yet it was like I never read the book The One Thing yet So then, yeah. so, then so then When I got into real estate And I'm seeing like Dang he just made 50000 on this one And that's what really started Getting my eyes open I was like I was over here like, let's make $200 a day yeah. compared to looking at the bigger picture of what was going on when mm-hmm. it came to um, investing in real estate. So it wasn't until I actually got into real estate really after my first year around that that, that time where I was like, you know, what? I need to start investing in real estate.
0: So in your your instance, you had already been exposed to risk and reward spend money to make money in in the promotional stuff that you were doing and the fruits of those, the labor was not as great. But then once you jumped into real estate, it was like, okay, I can take that same concept. Yes, we're dealing with bigger figures, but the outcome is also bigger at the same time. who knows sure and and they could be uh forever customers as well i mean referring to other people things of that nature
2: mm
0: mm-hmm. they should be with us mhm no i agree I like that too, man! Wow, it has got them all written He's down. Right. Like, like they on the inside, you need, you need to have a jacket with all these written on the inside, <laughs> tailored. <laughs> um, so, with that being, I guess the uh, obvious that you both were able to see, and, and same as myself, and I'll give you what we did. We fell into an opportunity to purchase a home. It was our first flip That uh, was actually my wife. She's a realtor as well. Um, It was a friend of a friend that referred her to do the listing. When she showed up, it was like, uh, oh, man, we've got a lot of work to do before we even put this on the market. And she asked them how much they were willing to do, and they really didn't want to do much at all. Um, so at that point she decided to call some investors and that night eating dinner, she's telling me about the property and I'm going, babe, we've got this in the bank. That's what we do for a living. Why don't we take a shot at this? We've already done the buy and hold situation. We've done the flip, uh, with the primary residence several times. Let's do it. And even with that concept, I will tell you, we still used hard money, um, that was to be able to, because two weeks later, we ended up buying another property exactly. and doing the same thing. So I think a lot of folks see that as a negative thing versus a means to an end or a means to another means to get to the next one, to leverage.
2: That that, that made me remember was something that we do on our team, actually, on listing. So there's sometimes they, there's not enough room to be able to buy it and flip it. Yet somebody says, you know what? We're, we're, our goal is to sell this home. Gotcha. And we're looking at the numbers and, you know, they need to do new carpet, say about $10,000 in sure. work. Yet they don't have the 10000 to put down. We'll front the 10000 and then charge a fee on top of that and get paid at closing. So that's another, um from a real estate a realtor standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, on ways to make another stream of income just through your. And that, I think, is a differentiating
0: factor that separates you from any other realtors out there, because they also have the ability to do the same exact thing. It is not an illegal practice to do what he just said, um, charging a fee to front the capital. It's to essentially
1: b- private money that you're giving them 100%. to be able to, it is so funny because I feel like in this podcast, you're going to get complete opposites. Scott, you are, you are the natural entrepreneurial spirit. And I feel like you're very much of a, like of a free thinker and, and a, you're very creative in finding. And I I'm, think that's
0: where we relate.
1: But I'm the total opposite. I'm like, uh, according to my calculations, it has to be perfect. And I'm very, <laughs> type very a. type A. So yeah. you're going to get the the opposite of, of us in how we invest and the way that we think about investing.
0: But is- that, that also goes to show that, really doesn't matter what type of person you are to be able to do what we're doing right? because I would have to say, and and what's funny is uh, my, uh, what is it called? Your Myers-Briggs test, uh, your disc assessment has me picked as a little bit of both of you
1: to be honest. I could see that actually.
0: Um, I'm very meticulous and whatnot, but I do like to take risks because I always have in order to gain. Um, And I think folks out there believe or folks that aren't doing this yet believe that it's not possible. It, it, maybe it's something that they couldn't do or... Um,
1: if you think about it though, it's kind of like that in every concept. Like uh, It is so hard to see yourself doing something that you've never done before. And that's why so many people are scared to, to create a business sure. or scared to... I mean, I could tomorrow go open up a, a, a car lot. I have known nothing about it. And to be honest with you, I don't... It, it wouldn't cross my mind. I, I feel like there's a barrier there. Like I wouldn't be able to do that. And I think a lot of people feel that because they're so stuck in their sphere of what they're used to and what they're accustomed to and their, their daily habits and their daily life, that it's very hard to change the way that you think to be able to create the mindset of an entrepreneurial. Um, type of business and creating that and doing that. And right. that's really what real estate investing is. It's, yeah,
0: it, it, it truly it, is. And you had said it, both of you, I think we all three have said it within something that we've been explaining, but it's opportunity. It's seeing the opportunity. There are plenty of people out there that practice real estate or practice lending or title or any part of what we do in as an industry that see the opportunity, but there's another factor to that. It's being able to act.
2: Right. It's that also, it's not instant gratification. It takes time to be able to build these relationships and also... Even build your portfolio, mm-hmm. so it's like if we were to go to the gym today and I was to do hundred sit-ups, yeah, I'm not gonna have a six-pack. Mm-hmm. It takes time for that. I actually might. It's been a minute, but I got them good jeans. <laughs> yeah, You're kidding. like Eric. Eric yeah, does I like one-day workout. It.
1: Comes up to me, like
2: them good jeans. I said this huge on it too, because there's no such thing as a bad day. They're just bad moments, and it's how you let moments affect you on how your day is gonna go. Right now, you do have defining moments, and say. You were to take a big loss on a project, right? And that concept, when that happens, a lot of people end up in victimhood. Sure. Yet, mm-hmm. If you end up victorious, no matter the situation, you figure out how you're going to bounce back from that, like mm-hmm. Jade did. Right. Then you figure, okay, what's my next, my next season?
1: We talked about that, and sure the last did. one that we did, and we talked about victim mentality and uh, not allowing yourself to feel like "woe is me." Mm-hmm. You. Nobody cares. You need to get back up and you need to figure out a solution to the problem and continue going and, and figure out how to get back or get to where you want to be. Um, so that's a really good point. I right, agree. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you have to do every day as a business owner.
0: That's true. I mean, you, as you mentioned, uh, you can either define the moment or let the moment define you. Um, and over and over and over relentlessly, we in this room... Find ways to um, define
2: the moment. Yeah, you have to remotivate yourself daily. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like bathing. Mm-hmm. It's like bathing. I say the daily. same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that
0: being said, um, I guess let's get into uh, let's talk about buying versus uh, buying and holding versus uh, flipping. In essence. Have either of you bought and held other than the primary residence? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. And and in the same conversation, why would one buy and hold versus flipping? Mm,
1: just don't even get me started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk numbers.
2: Who wants to start? So um, on my end, I, I like to buy and hold. Um, we do the flipping if it makes sense or if it's just a certain project that we intend to be out on quickly. Yet yeah, there is certain neighborhoods that we're like, you know, what, let's buy and let's buy the block. So that's one of our goals on the east side. We we have a project we're working on right now, and we picked up six of the nine homes on the whole block, wow. and we're working on the other three. One guy owns two of them, and he's gave me he gave us a number. And we're still working on flirting it. flirting with it. Yeah. Yep. So dancing. Those <laughs> he'll come around soon. Um, we'll give him an offer. Because either, they either
1: they buy with Scott or they die with Scott. or they die with Scott. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, they do awesome.
2: so, um, yeah, there's um, like lots, lots of something that I, I just, we just continue to hold on to because they just keep going up in value. The maintenance is. I mean, the tax is really the only thing that kind of. Hits you. But sure. The taxes are very minimal. And then I uh, just get in a mold once every month. That way the city doesn't keep hitting you with these liens. Cause we've had that happen. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: and those are things that they will learn as they get deeper into purchasing, holding, uh, flipping. I mean, you're talking about inspections. You're talking about passing codes, all kinds of things that you will end up uh, coming into.
2: Yeah. And then that bird, that bird method is really good too.
0: And we've talked about that before. We can talk about that here shortly. Um, Go ahead, keep going, sorry.
2: And then on the flipping side, it just if if the spread is there and we can be in and out really quick, maybe we don't believe in the neighborhood as much, or we want't use that capital for something else, a different project, we'll just come in, flip it and, and keep it moving. Okay,
0: so in essence, you're not trying to make uh what we call a head ripper of a profit type situation. It's more quantity um over the mass uh
2: of it. Yeah, we're, we're good on taking base hits. We don't need a grand slamming. Gotcha. I like
0: that. And that in essence, I believe, and I'll hear from Jade first, but that may be a key factor in deciding whether you are going to buy and hold or flip for profit. In an instance, if you, one is a long game, the other is a short game, but determining the short game has to do with your profit margin. If the profit margin is there, you might want to flip that property and move on to the next. But either way, whether you are flipping or buying and holding, what we've seen historically, especially in Texas, is property values don't go backwards. So you're pretty safe to invest in any sort of property if you buy it right. All right? Um, but yeah, from from your side, what uh, what I guess made you and when you make those decisions to buy and hold or flip? And tell us about that.
1: So I I primarily like to do buy and holds. Um, it allows me to get passive income, which pays for my expenses. So I don't have, uh, I don't really have any debt other than my primary residence and one vehicle. Uh Um, so my passive income is truly what pays for all of my expenses, um, which allows me to have that financial freedom with my kids um, and it continues to appreciate. I get uh, tax deductions off of it. Um, it provides a ton of different benefits. Yeah. Um, so, so with with okay, so flips versus rentals. Rentals are beautiful because you get the appreciation, meaning that the property values continue to increase. Which means that by the time that you decide to sell that property, uh, you've got built-in equity, which means higher profit for you. Um, you get tax uh, deductions, right? So, at the end of the year, I'm able to depreciate. Uh, those properties on my taxes, which allows me to not pay a million dollars every year uh, to the IRS. Um, But it also allows me to add that back into my income so that I still qualify and I don't write too much off to be able to then buy more properties and continue to build my portfolio. Because if you write too much off without doing it the right way, you can't add it back into your income. And then you don't make enough to be able to satisfy the DTI requirements to exactly right. actually get a mortgage, right? So buying rental properties, uh, helps me to achieve that, um, with doing it the right way. Um, and then it gives you the passive income as well. So like I talked about, that passive income pays me every single month and allows me to pay for the expenses that way. That's mailbox money, right? That's exactly right. And I know that a lot of people say that they don't like rental properties because they feel like they have too many obligations as a landlord, but the way that we're buying with the Burr method is you buy it and you renovate it. So when you're renovating it throughout that process, you take care of the mechanicals of the home, meaning the HVA system is new, the roof is new, the plumbing's been either fixed or it's been checked to make sure it's sufficient. Um, All of those key factors, which are the items that you would need to fix throughout Mm -hmm. the time of your renter living there, are are either new or um, working perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. Which then alleviates the amount of money that you have to cover for maintenance. Right. So then instead of paying all this money for maintenance, it's just cash flow. Um, so that's why I like rentals. Now I also like flips. I think flips are great as well. So I maintain both of those. Um, the flips allow me quick liquidity so I can deploy my money and I can receive money plus profit back very quickly, which then allows me to take a portion of that and then deploy it into purchasing more rentals, leveraging of course, to minimize out of pocket cost, um, buy more rentals and then increase my passive income. So I think that honestly I use them both, um, to be able to create that. I feel like sometimes people go heavy into the rentals and they deplete their, uh, their funds and they don't know how to do flips or they don't know how to do wholesale deals or anything like that. Um, so they're kind of just, they, they get themselves in this position where they don't know how to further leverage. Where they
0: feel like they're back against the corner, but there are more options that they don't know about.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think real estate investing is about getting creative and the more creative and more strategies, you know, And and you mentioned
0: something that I want to spotlight, which is uh, filing your taxes. And there are two different ways, and uh, one of which is only possible by means of another. Filing your property flipping investment under an LLC versus your Schedule C um, in an instance that has to do with how you're buying the properties. Um, it is very rare that you are using standard or traditional financing and being able to uh, title the property in the LLC, which then creates the tax shelters and liability and things of that nature. Whereas if you are using the standard ways to purchase, chances are you're going to file that on a Schedule C and you've qualified for the property based on your income, etc. And if you happen to move that to an LLC, the lender may call the note due uh, right now. So be careful and please read your uh, terms and conditions of your loan uh, when it comes to the servicer and things of that nature. Um, And then the last piece that I was going to talk about, I think it slipped my mind. I'll get back to it.
2: (laughs) I was going to say on the flipping side too, there's another way of flipping that we we didn't talk about, which is um, on lots and land. So on lots and land, buying them, and then subdividing them into smaller parcels and then selling those parcels off actually make a really good and then also rechanging the zoning on lots.
0: Absolutely. And I want to ask you about that process because I know you've gone through it. I have personally not, and I don't know if you had, but I wanted to go back to what I just remembered is when a lot of folks get into um, buying and holding or purchasing investment properties for the purposes of rental or VBRO or whatever it is that you're going to do, They're forgetting the idea that someone is actually paying your mortgage, building equity for you, in addition to what is happening in our world these days, which osmosis equity is what I'm calling it. Um, I think a lot of folks, the first thing that they start to talk about is this residual income or uh, uh, cash flow on top of the mortgage payment. I I totally get when you purchase an investment property for rental that you want to buy it right, of course. Um, and you want to have a positive cash flow, but I don't think that that should be a number one deciding factor for purchasing that property if your intent is long. term.
2: That is true. It's thinking about the well and not the sink. When you think too short term and not long term, that's when that happens. So if if you're like, you know, what I'm not getting cash flow on this right now, get it pays for itself. Right. And you know, five years the equity in this. Is what I'm looking at instead of the cash flow that's month after month,
0: right? And and you've also then created another um, outlet spigot to be able to a couple years later. I don't want to sell this house, but I've got equity. Okay, pull the equity out and move it over to leverage yet again on something else that you know you can. Uh, in your opinion, in our opinion, is a pretty safe investment. Got to be patient. Patience is key. Mm-hmm. Um, springing at, at opportunities is also key. Um, and I mentioned it before, but most people that see the opportunities are scared to act or they can't act.
2: Yeah, fear stands for false evidence appearing real.
1: There's another one. Yeah,
0: love
1: it. Write all these down before I go. <laughs> in the,
0: in the uh, trailers, we're going to spotlight <laughs> all of these boom, 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 <laughs> Scott Malouf. <laughs> That's awesome. You
1: know what, though? Dang it! I lost my train of thought.
0: But I agree. We'll we'll, we'll remember again. Um, So, being that we've all gone through the investment world and seen different opportunities from risks that we've taken, what seems to be the most beneficial to you? Thus far and, and obviously There's no wrong answers But at the moment What, what do you What are you seeing What's going on
2: I, I really like the Owner of finance If it has good terms um, Because it, it's We're the ones With the, are like at a 5% rate Sure Yeah we had minimum down And it's Like we have a, We have a triplex On the west side That we're, we're getting in 2200 a month And our payment on that Is 354 a month Gotcha So that's like a It's a win
1: And
0: What Scott is talking about is owner finance in the sense that you then become the bank and any investor in real estate. Um, I'm hoping that that's most dreams as well is to essentially purchase investment properties that you're not considering to flip, or maybe you are, but instead of selling them outright, you are the actual bank, um, and creating whatever terms you are. And if anybody has ever looked at an amortization schedule, um, or amortization calculator, you will see that the bank gets their money first. So you being the bank, not only are you making the money on the actual purchase price that you've agreed upon, but you're also making the interest throughout the remainder of the term, whatever those terms may be. And most of the time they've got a balloon attached to them um, because it's pretty tough to be stuck in a 30 year commitment to somebody uh, tying up those amount of funds,
2: right? Yeah. Also, people sell notes too, and they make good money selling their notes. Okay.
0: So that leads me back to what I asked earlier is talking about rezoning, finding a property where like historic district or something that is currently commercial, but you want to switch to um, residential or finding a piece of land that is one plat
2: and you want to create four out of it. It's getting with the architect and then getting a rezone with the city. That's, uh, and what's that process like? It's it's usually around could take up to a year. Yeah, it's usually around six months. Um, right now with because COVID pushed a lot right. of things back. And you've got to put your plans in front of them on what your plan is to do with that property and then they approve it or deny it. Now in certain neighborhoods it's a little more fascinating. Sure. Because you have a lot of the neighborhood that's against certain type of builds. Mm-hmm. So you just gotta be very specific on like what you're what you're shooting for. Um Historical is a lot harder than more hoops to jump through mm-hmm. than say like in our in San Antonio we have Denver Heights that if you drive down every street you're like everything is different mm-hmm. then you go one neighborhood over Dignity and they're they're strict on everything mm-hmm. Government Hills even worse than that so
0: and I think it, it is when you're dealing with those types of restrictions hurdles um, uh, adversity that you're having to get over. Everyone else is having to do the same thing. Just so you know, that area has uh, essentially designated for historic purposes, or they're trying to preserve what is there, or the surrounding neighbors of that community that have been there for a long period of time don't want to see change. Um, Unfortunately, fortunately, change is
2: inevitable. Yeah. In in the city, there is certain neighborhoods, they... Once they need change, yeah. So if you're buying there and you're buying, say, a half an acre, and you turn that into ten, uh, the five different properties that point one, um, and then you sell those off. That's that's when you're winning. Absolutely, absolutely. With very minimal risk, it's just time and patience it's and having your stuff together. Turn to RM four, and then you're just it's it's a uh, it's, it's an easier process than than people think. I agree. I agree. I mean, I have
0: not been through the rezoning. Um, we almost had a property, uh, over by the Alamo dome where it was actually two lots and seller was a little bit unrealistic, but we had already decided that if we move forward with this, we're splitting it into two lots. We're doing a duplex there. And then this one over here is going to be a big old mansion because our profit margin went massive on it. Yeah. But the restraint was, we've got to go through the historical,
1: mm. uh, uh, restrictions. Sometimes it's just not worth <laughs> <in> historical <laughs> Everything from your building supplies, um, Every little detail has to be approved,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what
0: I've heard.
2: No. we have on the lot side though. We have clients that just do lot flips. That's all they do, and that's wow. and they make really good money doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to uh, another agent. He's pretty big in the McQueeny area. Okay, and he buys land off of Dunlap, and he'll buy it for half a million, and then it was
0: Kendra, it was uh, uh,
2: Hunter, Hunter. Okay. Uh-huh. And um, he, he'll go and put three properties there and sell them at 400 each. He, he bought it for half a million and now he's selling three properties at 400 each. And that's $1.2. And Like that. Walking away. I'm not-
0: and if he is doing it correctly, which I believe he is, he's been doing it for a while, he's taking that money that he makes and going and buying more properties. Um, that is allowing you to not have to pay the actualized gains on the capital that you just made because you haven't, Taking it out it hasn't become actual cash that you can go and spend you're leveraging it over and leveraging it over and that's a way that the wealthy become wealthy uh i don't i don't uh, see at this point in time that people don't understand that i think it has a lot to do with the risk threshold um uh, not being able to act on those opportunities things of that nature um so
1: you're talking about with the tax deferred
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh amount that you make right yeah I think some people just don't know, like sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. When mm-hmm. I first got started, I didn't know anything about 1031 exchanges sure. um, uh, and how that benefited me. Um, and I also think some people, it, cause you can't do them on flip, So keep this in mind, like the IRS will flag you. You do have to hold the property for a certain amount of time before selling it um, in order for you to be able to utilize that 1031 exchange. Um, Do you happen
0: to know how long that is? I don't.
1: It's kind of a gray area. So, you know, I always say anywhere from, I'd say to be safe because, you know, me, I'm safe Sally. (laughs) A year and a half, two years. Okay. Uh, If you do it too fast and you do it too often, you'll get flagged. Right. uh, Because that
0: is your business.
1: Right, they don't want you to do that. They don't want you to utilize 1031 exchange to defer capital gains on your flipping prof- profit. Right. It's de- it's supposed to be uh, deferred capital gains for, for buy and holds. Yeah, that makes sense. But it can be extremely lucrative doing it that way as long as you don't need the capital because you cannot utilize that capital for right. your own expenses. It has to be strictly for property. the down payment of the new property yeah. or properties.
0: Yeah. And, and- um, you can't even use those funds to fix up the next property because it has to be a smooth transition from one property to another, which is why they call it the ten thirty one
1: exchange. It ha- it can't even be for your closing costs. It's supposed to be for the down payment of the purchase price of that property. And
0: typically, has to be done within a hundred. Day- no, not even like ninety days,
1: isn't it? Your identification period is within that amount of time. Okay, got but it. you have longer than that to actually purchase it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you have to maintain a certain threshold. So, like if I sold my property for ninety thousand then my purchase price or purchase prices have to equal that amount. So it has to be an equal exchange. So one way that people can do that is they can so say I sold that property for 90,000. I can leverage so I can utilize hard money and go buy two fixer-uppers for a like I'm pregnant, so my brain doesn't really work as well as it normally does for $45,000 each, right? Leverage by utilizing the hard money to minimize your out-of-pocket costs. Take that money from the 1031 exchange and utilize that as your down payment, which really makes you no cash out-of-pocket at that point. Hard money then covers the renovation because we always cover 100% of renovation. Um, And now instead of having one property, you have two or three, you know, one of them that I sold was for $180,000. So I don't buy homes for $180,000 in investment world. My homes are typically 90. So I can take that and I can buy that one, take that one property and turn it into three. And of course, it's going to be a buy and hold at that point. So now instead of cash flow on one house, I'm cash flowing on three.
0: Gotcha. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, guys, I think there's a ton uh, of content that folks can actually take to the bank that we've learned today in this discussion. Um, Another thing I want to mention is that, guys, you're listening to three millennials that are doing this. You're hearing about the things that um, we can't do or the things that uh, maybe we're not ready to do we're actually doing them. So if you are listening, thinking that this is something that you may want to get into, number one, do your research. Um, I think a key factor that I have not mentioned on this is trust in the comps. Uh, Run the comps. There are so many people out there that call an opportunity an opportunity before they even know it's an opportunity. Um, Because they've been presented with something that someone else doesn't know about. Well... Don't be lazy and go run the comps. Let
1: me say that real quick, <laughs> yeah, just go ahead. to pinpoint that. Um, so the the only deal I've ever lost money on was specifically because I didn't educate myself on how to understand comparables. Okay, investing in real estate, it's very creative, but it is all about your numbers and being able. To, and your numbers are going to be dictated by your strategy. Right. And when I did that deal that I lost money on, I did not know how to run my comparables, and I didn't understand how to do that. And because of that my ARV was off by almost $200,000. So that's how I lost money. So when you go into this, either make sure that you have a team that you can trust. Like Scott does a great job with his comps. Like he brings me clients that have never invested before. Sure. He, they do all of the comps for them. They run all the numbers for them. We, I just give him money. Here you go. <laughs> and it all checks out. So either find a team that you can trust and that knows what they're doing because my mentor sure didn't. Uh, or make sure that you educate yourself enough to be able to act on that and understand how to properly run those
2: numbers. Yeah, that's is, that is very true. Just because, say it was a wholesaler that sent you mm-hmm. uh, a deal, and they say this is the ARV. It does don't trust that ARV. Yes, give it the give it the real estate agent that knows investing, yeah. and understands it, and ask them. Yes. Uh, this will be my last one.
0: No, no, but go, <laughs> keep going. Keep yes.
2: going. Keep going. Ask stands for always seek knowledge. So it. when you ask, you're looking for knowledge to be able to help you and especially in the best inside.
0: Absolutely. And and they've all been perfectly put and applied <laughs> exactly yes. how they should be. Um, so that last uh, thing that you just said there, I want to reiterate and, and give a little bit of understanding behind it is, both of you are saying work with someone that is trusted and an expert in what they're doing and that has a big thing to do with what's happening in our market and it happens from time to time as prices increase dramatically and then they stop and then they increase dramatically and then they stop. It's because we've got agents out there that bless their hearts, they accept the deal just because they want to get the deal. They'll have a buyer or a seller that says I want to net X amount And if you can't sell it for that, then I'll go with the other person. So they say yes, versus actually running the comps, educating that person and bringing them down to reality to where they're not trying to give $15,000 for granite countertops, or they're not trying to give $20,000 for hardwood floors versus carpet. Um, Those types of things are very minimal when it comes to comparables in the market, because essentially, it has to do with the comparables in the area. Yeah. it comes A lot of,
2: in that situation, agents can sometimes come from a scarcity mindset. Yes. Sure. And they'll be like, I don't want, I'm don't, i not going to lose the deal. I'm not going to lose the deal compared to having the hard conversations. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we get paid to have the hard conversations yeah. and explain to them, this is what you're going to net. And they're like, well, what if we list the $20,000 higher? Well, there's a difference between being on the market and in the market. Correct. And, it is
1: the same thing in the lending atmosphere. Yeah. You have the hard money lender. So- my job is to give out money, but because I've lost money, I'm also very protective of my investors. Sure. So same exact thing. Most lenders are okay with just accepting the deal. And if they know a borrower is going to fail, they don't really care uh-huh. because it's kind of scarcity. They just want to get paid. Yeah, scarcity that's sad. Mentality Or just lack of caring. Um, but the hard conversations I have all the time as well. Hey, I understand. It's not never on any of your deals, Scott. Don't worry. But having that conversation, hey you're all in it at 90,000. Your ARV's 120. I mean, you he he has money to lose, we'll say in this case, but are you sure that's a deal that you want to do? Right. Let me take 30, 45 minutes with you and break this Educate down for you. Educate you. Let me show you how you're gonna lose money on this deal and actually educating them all the way through so that they don't make mistakes and that they're successful because when you have those hard conversations, and people realize that you are the expert in your field or that they can trust you, the business that you get long-term outweighs any type of business that you're gonna get just for that scarcity mindset or just for the immediate gratification. I would much rather have a client and have a referral and a referral after that than just doing one deal and allowing somebody to fall on their
2: face. And that's very true. That pain versus pleasure. When, When you focus on money, money never comes when you focus on people Mm -hmm. money comes over time and being able to have them make that correct investment is what's most important
0: and what's funny is i that what you just said comes up on just about every podcast that i've done thus far with top professionals Yeah, one of us ends up saying it uh, not to be a parrot but it is true i mean the power and repetition probably is true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to go back just briefly on the concept of what they're talking about in regards to the the comps and buying a property, thinking that you're going to turn it into this lavish something, but the comps don't show Mm. (laughs) the ability to sell it for X amount. And what that kind of goes back to is the realtor that accepts the deal because the seller wants to sell it for X. They believe that it's worth X. They put hard, sweat, money, tears into the property, just because you get the property accepted under contract for that price doesn't mean it's going to actually sell at that price. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then even at the list price, say the property's worth – uh, let's for easy one seventy five, mm-hmm. and you list it at two hundred. Right. Well, let's see what the market does. Okay. Well, let's we'll, let's list it at two hundred. Okay. Some agents will do this, and then they're on the market for forty five days, and then they do a price change, right. and then they do another price change. Next, year, they're on the market for ninety days,
0: and people they, are looking at it going, "What's right, wrong
2: with exactly. this Because yeah, the average days in market in that neighborhood is seventeen, yeah. and you're on for ninety.
1: Right.
2: Now you're at the actual correct. Price you should be at, right. but everybody get,
1: thinks something's wrong with it, yeah, and absolutely. it deters the actual buyer. Like if I see a house stays on market for Same say a hundred days, that is my first thought: what's wrong with what's it? What's wrong with it? And then right. you
2: actually lose money. You yeah. lose money on what you should have actually made.
0: That's so, exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, your time. Mm-hmm. That's why. In addition
2: the, to that, yep. having the hard conversations upfront is actually going to make you make them more money in the in the long run. Absolutely, absolutely. I
0: agree a hundred percent with that, um, guys. This has been great. Do you guys want to add, and I'll give you each a a chance to add something that you feel um, that the listeners should know about what we're talking about? And again, this topic, uh, if you're hearing it from the the back to the the beginning, which who does that? But anyway, uh, (laughs) the the topic is practice what you preach, um, investing in real estate and leveraging it to grow. Um, So do you guys have anything to add to that?
1: I'll say for me because, you know. Uh, safe Sally over here. Uh, cash for me is king. So leverage to me has gotten me to the point in my life where I've been able to have this net worth. And had I not leveraged, I wouldn't have, I would not have been able to get there nearly as quick. Um, leveraging has allowed me to maintain my liquidity, which opens me up for more opportunities while still continuing to progress and build and grow. Um, and if you just, I've seen so many people that come to me with hundreds of thousands of dollars and they want to just buy it cash because they don't want to pay a hard money loan. Sure. And I'm like, let's, let's, let's think about this. So, you know, if you spend a hundred to, well, cause you're not just paying for the purchase, you're paying for the renovation costs as well. So let's just say you buy the property for 90,000 and it's a $40,000 renovation. It's $130,000. Scott told you it's going to take you about five months to flip that house. Right. Uh, So so there's five months that you're tied up of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars So if you've got we'll say three hundred grand because people think that's a lot of money to have cash Right that allows you to maybe buy two deals. You're right for me I could have half that amount and I could buy three to four deals with still maintaining more liquidity than this guy and increasing my return on investment because my output is so little where I'm still getting that same amount of profit. Maybe just a little bit less because I had to pay the hard money lenders just a little bit of money. But now I'm able to do four deals instead of him doing two. And I'm still open to more opportunities because I still have liquidity. 100%,
0: that is is using leverage in order to create a bigger effect, um, bigger profits, and actually less risk. In the grand scheme of things, Absolutely. folks like to tote around. I can buy them all cash. Okay, well, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you can buy more of them with less, right? Absolutely. Use your money for all the repairs and the uh oh moments, um, or you can be stuck with all your money in that property. Um, and I think those are things that people go into it um, without foresight. Um, they don't listen to podcasts like this. They don't. Uh,
1: <laughs> they don't... I, I have guys that come to me and they they say, Hey, Jade, I need a hard money loan. And it's like, okay, well, I need to see reserves because as an investor, you have to have reserves. Sure. Uh well, I've only got like fifteen thousand because I just put a hundred into this house and it's tied up. And yep. unfortunately that they then no China's longer reserves. they no longer qualify for the majority of deals out there. Yep. So and, and it's
0: kind of the same concept, and I hate to add this, but when somebody comes to me as the lender, and and folks, I, I'm a traditional lender, all the standard programs. Um but they'll say, "I've got a million dollars in the bank. I know I don't have uh, a job, but I've got a million dollars in the bank. You should loan me this money, okay? I understand that. But tomorrow, you can go to Vegas, put it all on black, and it's gone. And we've got no course of of that a
2: million dollars in the bank, easy money will give be- you."
1: <laughs> That's I got awesome. you. That's you got a awesome. million dollars in the bank. I got you. I got you. <laughs> That's
0: awesome, uh, Scott. How about you, anything that we can uh, take to the bank with us?
2: Now, if you're going to do the bird bird method or do a flip, um, interview the contractors, get a mm-hmm. referral. Say, can you give me a referral of somebody you worked with in the past and actually see their work? Um, mm-hmm. Going with the cheapest is not always the is not the best. Never. Most of the time. It's never. Yeah. So. You know, see what they do. See what the quality of work looks like. Make sure that you get talked to at least one or two of their referrals. I would talk to at least two, and just make sure that you know are they on time? Do they over? Do they say the this is, this is going to cost thirty thousand? Yet it costs fifty thousand for their flips because some contractors will say that just to get the job. Mm-hmm. They'll say you know this one's going to cost thirty thousand, and I, we know things come up. Sure. Yet when it comes a pattern with certain contractors on every job ends up being fifteen to twenty thousand dollars more than what they mm-hmm. first let let the let the investor know. Mm-hmm. Then that's when we usually have to either have a hard conversation with them. That or makes sense. Separate ways. Um, so doing the upfront um, due diligence on everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I like
0: that. Now yes. to add to his before we close it out, contractors. If you are going into flipping, if you are going into buying and holding, but you've got to renovate first. Key factor: if you find a great contractor pay your contractor what they're worth and pay them on time. Um, What you will find is that if you are going to continue to do this, those contractors will ride along with you because it's uh, continuous and uh, guaranteed work for them. And what they'll end up doing is lowering their price as you consistently uh, move forward with different projects. Similar to what I would imagine hard money lenders, as you do more business with them, Uh, They will drop the rates, they will drop the down payment requirements, things of that nature, but it shows a relationship that you can then grow off of, and who knows, build your next empire.
1: Relationships go a long
2: way. They do. Also, don't be scared to ask for a feasibility period. Just because a wholesaler or a real estate agent says, you know what? We're going to be good with no option. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have an option on on an investment property and have the house inspected. Absolutely. Especially looking for that big five that I talked about earlier, the roof, the foundation, the HVAC, the plumbing, and the electrical. You want to know that beforehand. 100%. That way your numbers are... A lot it
0: mitigates the amount of surprises. Are there going to be surprises? Absolutely, because you can't go and bust up somebody's walls before you actually own it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does mitigate the risk that you actually take, and it costs you anywhere from three hundred to six hundred bucks. Uh, I've never bought an, a, a property without an inspection done on it, even if I didn't have uh, an option period because we waived that right. We still did the inspection on it. Um, so. That being said, I want to point out a couple of key factors. Um, the first one is use and seek out all of your options. Uh, just because you can't qualify traditionally or don't have the cash, there are other options available for you. Um, just because you hear hard money and think it's an easy money fix, you may want to go the traditional route first so that you can exhaust all of those means of accomplishing your goal first before you get into the hard money factors um, for many advantages, tax purposes, lower down payment, things of that nature. Um, The other is run and trust your comps. Make sure that you work with a professional that knows what they are doing, um, that provides you with something that they can put their stamp on and explain to you why. Um, there's a lot of folks out there that are living in la la land and believe that if they add 50 grand to any property, it's going to be worth an extra hundred grand. That's just not the case. It is in some cases, but take the time to essentially do your homework on the property. I mean, at the end of the day, you're leveraging quite a bit of money to do this, right? And in those instances, we are typically leveraging more than what we're making. If we were all making 100% profit on the deals that we were making, I mean, gosh, we wouldn't do what we do for a living to get us to continue to do what we're doing. There's
2: one more that. <laughs> Go ahead. Bring it. it. So I'm glad I'm sparking these. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a traditional part, Yeah, you've had the home five years. Mm-hmm. Equity is high at your homestead. You do the refi. You use that refi money to buy a rental property with 20% down. That's another way to be able to utilize your equity.
0: Absolutely. And and the concept, and this is going to be an episode um, coming down the road, but it is using your standard programs to leverage to build an empire. And essentially, you can use an FHA loan to buy a multifamily unit as long as you're living in one of them. You can utilize a USDA loan, 100% finance to purchase a soon to be intent Uh, down the road investment property. I think the idea behind having to have 20% down, and that is the only option to start down this road of investing in real estate or leveraging my commissions. And the one that I hear most is, well, I don't claim enough on my taxes because it's my first year or my second year in real estate. So I didn't do my homework to know that I needed to claim all of my income and actually pay taxes on it to qualify traditionally no problem. There's other options if you did the right thing with your capital. If it's in the bank, like we talked about a moment ago, Jade can use that. Go see her. Um, So I think that's about it on the uh, key factors. We've talked about a lot here. Um, Guys, I really appreciate you joining on this one. This is going to be a good cut. Um, And lastly, this podcast is sponsored by ReviewMyMortgage.com is the largest index for mortgage programs nationally.